0: Jesus and his disciples are in this beautiful place called Caesarea Philippi, and uh, back after my sophomore year of college, I had the privilege to go to Israel, and we visited this place, one of the many places, and uh, it is indeed a beautiful place. It is, it is no less uh, gorgeous than uh, any state park that you go to. You say, wow, this is beautiful, what a great place to, to have a picnic, and that's the kind of place that Caesarea Philippi is. So Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and they're talking. And in the midst of their discussion, Jesus just seemingly out of nowhere makes this statement that we read. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, time out. That is the first time that the word church appears In the entire Bible. Now look, it's a big book right here, okay? And this is where we are in the Bible. This is what's already been written. This is what's coming after. In all of this right here, the word church has not appeared. And he's sitting there talking to his disciples, and they've never heard this word before. And Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church church, and I can imagine his disciples are saying, you're what? What what are you talking about? We we don't know what this is. You're what? Upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm going somewhere with this ministry. I'm going somewhere with what I am doing, my purpose on this earth. And he said, we're going to get to a place where we are going to establish an organization. Understand, before the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, there was no such thing as a church anywhere. According to Bible history and chronology, the human race at that time was about 4,000 years old. And in 4,000 years, there had been no churches. Now, there were synagogues. There were pagan temples, but none of these are churches because the church has a strict definition, which I'm going to give you in just a second. But Jesus is introducing to them a brand new institution that he is establishing. And by the way, this morning, you are a part of one of those amazing institutions. Just by being here this morning, if you're a member, you are a member of one of these amazing institutions. It's not amazing because I'm the pastor. It's not amazing for any other reason except that it is the institution that Jesus Christ established. I think it's amazing that there is there is even... Such a thing as a church, when you think about the whole story, here's a man without any formula, formal education, comes from a small town. He's got this little crew of followers. He winds up being executed, and yet he establishes this And by the way, this institution called the church, he didn't even officially establish one before he was executed and before he left. And yet, they are still in existence all over the world to this day. That is just absolutely astounding. He said, so I'm going to establish this organization, this institution called a church. There's no other organization. This is what, I'm really sort of a sales pitch this morning. Not for Northeast Baptist Church, but for the institution that Jesus established. For you to understand just how amazing a thing this is that Jesus established. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The New Testament church has endured opposition, persecution, and attacks by all the forces of hell for the last 2,000 years, and it has not only survived, but it has thrived. We learned on Wednesday night in the Dark Ages alone, the Dark Ages lasted about 1,200 years. In the Dark Ages alone, over 50 million people were put to death for standing true to the scriptural principles of the New Testament church. And yet, it thrives today. Jesus said, I will build my church. What are the scriptural principles that define? a local New Testament church. You say, well, time out, Pastor. I I, I don't need all this. You know, I just just, just need to learn how to get along with my wife. Would you just tell me that, and uh, I don't need all this Bible doctrine stuff. Okay, Uh, how to get along with your wife. Just man up and get along with your wife. There you go. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, we don't know what we need. God knows what we need. Okay. I went to the uh, eye doctor two months ago thinking I was going blind. And the eye doctor is the eye expert. I am not. So I sat down and he has told me for two months, he has told me exactly what to do regarding my not just my eyes but my general health, exactly what to do. He, the first thing he said had nothing to do with my eyes. He said, if you can't accomplish this, I can't help you. By the grace of God, I got it done. I did exactly what he said. And uh, I have tried since then. I had to stand and watch them set up tables this morning, and uh, I didn't set up a single table. I didn't even touch a table. I didn't set up a single table. I touched a couple. Um, Why? Because the doctor said nothing strenuous after you have this surgery. Nothing. I didn't one time say, oh, doctor, I know. You know most of what, but but I I disagree with that. No, the doctor knows what I need, and God knows what you need. By the way, praise the Lord, according to the doctor, I've got 20-20 vision of both my eyes again now, and, and it's excellent. It's great, but God knows exactly what you need, just like the eye doctor knew exactly what I needed, and God put it in a book, and it's not my business to say, I only need that part right there. The rest isn't important. The rest is just doctrine. I don't need that. Just, just tell me how to get my finances in order. Just tell me how to get my temper under control. Just tell me how to, how to get some self discipline. Just, just tell me how to. Uh, I don't need all that other doctrine stuff. And, and God says that uh, no. Uh, I, I wrote a book and all scripture is profitable. He said. If you would get interested in God's whole package of truth, he would get involved in every area of your life. But because you just say, well, you know, I just need this part right here because this is all that really where my problem is and this is really the only part I need, then that's the only part of your life where you might see God do anything. So I may be giving you today something that you'd say, I don't, but I don't really need that. And I'm telling you right now, God says, mm, you do. How do I know God says you do? Because he put it in here. So, what are the scriptural principles that define a local New Testament church? All right, I want you to understand something. And this isn't about bashing any, anybody. But I believe in discernment. I've tried to raise my children with discernment. So instead of just telling them, this is the list of the things you cannot do, I try to teach them principles so that they could figure those things out on their own. Oh, there were definitely some things I told them they couldn't do. But more important than, than the, the things that, that you're not allowed to do this, much more important and much larger part of their raising was these are the principles of right and wrong, and you need to have the discretion to know even when mom and dad aren't around, you're not going to do that because it's going to mess you up. You're not going to give in to this because it's going to get you in trouble. So instead of me standing up this morning and saying, I'm going to read for you the list of places in Danbury that call themselves church, but they're not a church. First of all, that's not for me to decide. And secondly, that really doesn't help you. I'm not in the bashing business. What I am going to tell you now I'm going to give you principles quickly, very quickly, and we gave these Wednesday night because Wednesday night we're doing a, a study on the, the a basic history of the New Testament church. And, and this past Wednesday night, I told the folks that came, I said, if you will focus for the next 30 minutes, you will understand denominations And in church history, and why people say, why do we have to have this this group and this group? And why can't we all just be? I said, by the the end of this 30 minutes, you will understand it better than 99.9% of church-going people. And I think I kept my word because we covered some amazing things on Wednesday night. But at the root of it are these things right here that define what a church is. And I want you to listen, and I want you to get these. And these are in print. We've had passed them out in outlines a couple of times. Because if God ever moves you somewhere else, you know, God moves you, God, uh, God led us to Arizona or whatever. God ever moves you somewhere else, you make sure that that church, first of all, that they preach the right message. What I'm giving you right now, this isn't about the message they preach. Do you know there's a lot of churches that might preach a good message, but they still don't qualify as a New Testament church? What? Yeah, let me, let me read you qualifications from the Bible. Now, if you came Wednesday night, I would take it through the Bible and show you where all these things are. All these things are straight from the Bible. Let me just read it for you quickly. What are the scriptural principles that define a local New Testament church? Number one, Christ is its founder and its head. Well, every church believes that. No, no. Some churches have a human head off, you know, headquarters in some foreign state or some, foreign, some distant state or some foreign country. Christ church does not. He is the head. Number two, it only has two officers in it, pastor and deacon. Number three, its government is congregational, democratic. That means everybody gets a voice. Everything that we do is a product of the vote of our people. Now, some of the things that you vote as a congregation, you vote in a pastor, and the pastor makes some of the smaller choices and, and decides how we're going to do. Sort of like a, a uh, sort of like our government does. We don't make every decision. We elect people to make decisions for us. And so uh, you don't uh, you don't have to. We don't have to call a meeting to decide, um, oh, so-and-so died and they're going to have a funeral. Um, what kind of flowers should we send them? Let's have a meeting and get a vote. Don't know, you, you don't have time for that. You don't have patience for that, so I'll take care of that because you voted for me to be the pastor. You get that? How many get that? Okay, so we have that. Now, do you understand that there are organizations out there that call themselves church that they don't get to do that? Do you understand that there are organizations, and I'm not bashing anybody. I'm trying to help you understand what you're a part of. There are organizations right here in our city that they have a, an overseeing organization that sends a pastor to lead them. That pastor has a contract for a year, two years, three years. When that contract expires they move that pastor somewhere else and they send a new pastor there and the congregation has nothing to say about it. That's for real. I'm not making that up. That's for real. That is not a democratic or a uh, congregational system. But that is what the local New Testament church has. All right? Number, Number four, the church, the New Testament church has two ordinances. Number one, baptism followed by the Lord's Supper. Number five, only... The saved are members of the New Testament church. Now, that's where a lot of places that call themselves church are not church. The only way to be a member of a New Testament church is to be a born-again believer. If you are baptized as an infant and become a member of that church before you even know how to say mama and dad, that church is going to be filled with unsaved people. And that is not, by definition, a New Testament church. Number six, the scriptures are its only authority. Number seven, its purpose is Christ's purpose, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Number eight, participation in the church is by choice, not by force. Number nine, the church is local. It is not a denomination. And number 10, the church is completely independent of the state. And that's a huge one that we won't go into. We've gone into a little Wednesday night, and we will continue to. These are distinctions. You say, well, Pastor, time out. Really, again, how's this helping me? If you're going to be a part of what goes on here, you need to know what you're part of. And this is exactly what we strive to be as a local church and what every local New Testament church should strive to be. Independent local churches that fit that definition that I just showed you have existed in abundance throughout the world ever since Jesus made that statement that we read, I I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we can go into a dispute about, okay, let's take this denomination and trace it all the way back, and that's, that's not the way to understand what a church is. The way to understand what a church is is to look at the Bible principles of a church and see which churches match those principles. It doesn't matter what its name is. It matters if they abide by those principles. And if you look throughout history, And I'm not a history scholar, but I am an avid history student. And I can tell you throughout all of the last 2,000 years around the world in various places, various times, there have been institutions, large and small, that have stood by the principles that I just gave you. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God loves his local church. Jesus died, Acts 20, 28 says, for the local church. So let me give you just a couple of things quickly and we'll be all finished. Several things from that text verse, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Number one, the church belongs to Jesus. Very important. You belong to a church. You've come to church. You're part of a church. Most of you come here regularly. You're a part of an institution that belongs to Jesus Christ. We do not have a right to define what this church is about. Hey, let's suppose I open a hamburger stand, and I make hamburgers. And I'd say, you know what? You know what we have here? We have basically, I mean, really, we have a McDonald's here, my little hamburger stand. I mean, we got, we got hamburgers, and we got french fries, and we got Cokes, and we're a McDonald's. How many of you think I have a right to call myself a McDonald's? No, who has the right to tell me whether or not I can call myself McDonald's? The company that's called McDonald's does. They have the legal right, and legally, I cannot call myself McDonald's, even if my name is McDonald's, because they have... The, trade, they have the trademark, they have that name. And I cannot call myself by their name, no matter how badly I want to. A church, an institution does not have a right to call itself church that does not line up with the Bible principles of a church. Now, nobody's going to sue them, but here's the thing. There are certain promises that God makes to a church that they can't claim just because they hijacked the name. If you don't, let's go to doctrine for a second. Those are principles of the church, but let's go to doctrine for a second. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you don't have a right to call yourself a church. This is America. I'll call myself whatever. I get that. I understand that. We're talking spiritually before God. Before God, you have no right to hijack the name of the institution that Jesus started. And you certainly can't claim those promises that go with the church. Because Jesus made those promises to the organization that fit the principles that he established. So the church belongs to Jesus. He said, my church... This is not my church. And I'm I, I may slip and you may slip, but I try in my communication with other people to, to not say, hey, I want you to come and preach at my church. I'll say our church. Because it's not. Now, again, I may slip and accidentally say that, but I really work hard to not say that because I don't want to think like that because this church does not belong to me. Jesus is the founder and the head of the church, and Jesus said, I will build my church. What's this got to do with my life? Because be careful what you do in Jesus' church. This is not a place where you can just go in and do whatever you feel like. And I'm not talking about even how you behave in the services. I'm talking about your interaction with other people. If you were to come into the church and to begin to behave in such a way that drove somebody away from God, you have committed an offense against God. The Church of Jesus Christ, and therefore against Jesus Himself. You don't want to do that. I'm not going to get you. When, when God chastens you, you will wish that I had gotten you instead. You don't you don't want to to lock horns with the founder of the church. This is his church. He decides what he wants it to be. He decides how he wants it to be run. That's why he said in his book, let everything in the church, let everything be done decently and in order. There is a way that we do things. I would love for every person in this room to be as involved as you possibly can be in the ministries of our local New Testament church. You would find out it's one of the most rewarding things in life. But let me tell you, if you're going to be more involved in the work, in the ministries of our church, in, in serving the Lord through our church, there are certain matters of order that we follow, and when people follow those though, that order, it's a wonderful thing. God uses it greatly. But understand that this is not the uh, this is not just a local club where you can jump in and do things the way you want to do them. This is not just a a gimmick. This is not a toy to be played with. It's not somebody's hobby. Jesus, this is his church, and he decides how it wants to be run. You say, yes, but but uh, I'm an artist, and, and all this structure, it just hinders my creativity. Well, you need to grow out of that. You need to get strong enough where your creativity can work.